So I'm looking for some advice. How would you advise a pastor who loves to preach the gospel, who loves to preach the good news of salvation in Christ, who loves to talk about why Jesus had to live a perfect life, why Jesus had to die a sinner's death even though he never sinned, why he was raised from the dead, why he is ascended on high as our great high priest and intercessor. The pastor loves, loves, loves to preach the gospel And yet that pastor has been asked to preach about giving. What advice should we give him? I love to preach the gospel. As a matter of fact, the pastor we're talking about has a certain phobia. He has a fear of preaching on giving. I couldn't find it on the internet what that's called, but I'm sure there is such a phobia. He doesn't like to talk about it because he actually doesn't want to be mistaken for a religious manipulator the kind perhaps we see on television. What advice are we going to give this pastor? Well, I can tell you what advice I'm going to give to this pastor because I know him well. (laughs) In fact, I know him better than any human being on planet Earth. My advice to the pastor is going to be preach 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so guess what I'm going to do today? I'm going to preach 2 Corinthians chapter 8 because here's what happens in 2 Corinthians 8. In 2 Corinthians 8, the apostle Paul connects the great and amazing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that has come to us freely by God's grace. And then he talks about the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of receiving grace from God. The fruit of receiving grace from God is demonstrating graciousness in your life with your stuff. including your money. So it took me a long time to get convinced. I had to pray about it. I had to think about it. I had to deal with my phobias about it. Um, but here we are, Second Corinthians chapter 8. We've received this gracious gift from God. And guess what happens? Christians, having received grace, should be gracious. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, why are we talking? Why was I asked to talk about giving today? I was asked to talk about giving today because, number one, It's in the Bible, and we don't talk about it very much, uh, thanks to you-know-who, with a phobia, perhaps. Um, And so we're going to talk about it because it's a biblical matter. We're going to talk about it. Uh, Another reason is because some of you need to be reminded, um, some of you salty saints, um, some of you mature saints need to be reminded, but also some of you just don't know. Um, and, And I'm thankful because that means... Some of you, if not lots of you, are newer to Christianity, if not brand new, new to this church. And so it'll be helpful for you to to hear what the Bible says about this. That one excites me. I guess they all excite me, but that's important. And then another reason we're going to talk about giving, why I was asked to talk about it, and am willing to and eager to because it's necessary, all kidding aside, is because as Pastor Mike Holloway mentioned last week, not all of you were here, but he gave us an update on our finances. And if things were to continue the way they are right now, in August, when we end our ministry year budget, uh, if things continue the way they are, we would be about $90,000 behind. So so we're talking about it. Um, what, what I don't want as a pastor and a leader is for, for you to say to me in six months, why didn't anybody say anything? Why didn't you talk about this before it became an absolute crisis? So we're going to talk about it. Um, 
I'll preach. If you feel convicted, praise the Lord. Uh, if you feel encouraged, praise the Lord. Um, I hope everyone feels encouraged in one sense. Praise the Lord because, again, it's a great text. We're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about the fruit of the gospel. Um, and I think we should have a good time doing it. So, ready? Second Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at the opening 15 verses. If you need an outline, I do have an outline. And the outline is going to have to do with seven points. We're going to look at seven lessons from Second Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. Seven lessons about biblical giving or why believers uh, should give. Maybe another way of putting it now that I'm looking at my notes. Um, <laughs> seven reasons for believers to be giving. So sorry about the misfire there. That's one one great thing about preaching lots of sermons is you don't have to always look at your notes. The bad thing about preaching lots of sermons is you don't always look at your notes. So uh, seven reasons why Christians should give is what my notes actually say, and that's uh, going to be better. Second Corinthians 8, here's the context super quickly. The context in Second Corinthians is this. The Corinthians had been listening to some false apostles about a false gospel. And having listened to false apostles about a false gospel, it's led to all kinds of trouble in their hearts, in their behavior, in their minds, in their church. And now, by the grace of God, through the Apostle Paul's ministry, through the work of the Spirit, they've come back around. He's won them back, if you will, to the true gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone. It's come to us freely. It's not by faith in works, as false apostles would say. And so they've come back around, and now he's going to remind them that before they strayed, they made some commitments to give. And then when they followed the false teachers, they stopped with their commitments to give. And he's saying, now that you've come back around to the true gospel, let's continue to support gospel ministry. And so I won't take you to those texts, but if we were to look at them, it would be Romans 15, 25 to 28, and 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 4. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 4. So they had made that commitment before, uh, but when they veered theologically, they stopped, and now he's saying, all right, let's follow through and do the right thing, because Christians, having received grace from God, and now that you're back to, you know, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, uh, the fruit of that ends up being you being gracious, which makes me want to even preach about that for a little while. When you get the gospel wrong, you even misunderstand, misunderstand your graciousness or lack thereof. Okay, closer look at this passage. Number one. First reason for believers to give would be because it's what believers do. It's what believers do. The Macedonians are an example here. How about 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So that region would include Philippi, book of Philippians, Thessalonica, First and Second Thessalonians, and Berea, we learn about in the book of Acts. So he's saying, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among those churches. And he's going to use grace all the time in this passage. Grace, when we receive grace from God, he gives us something free. We didn't earn it. It's not merited. It's not you clock in and you clock out and you get what you deserve. No, God gives us eternal life, not based upon what we've done, but based upon what Christ has done. So we receive grace from God. And then... The other side of it is when we show grace, having received grace from God, we're giving people what they 
don't deserve, what they haven't earned, what they don't owe us, but having received, we give. And so he's saying, look at the churches in the Macedonian region. They're gracious. They're giving. They're not, by the way, as an aside, they're not near as sophisticated as you Corinthians. You Corinthians who pride yourselves in being highbrow and being cultured. <laughs> the Macedonian, they, we, we might call them, my grandparents would call them country bumpkins, right? They're the ones who don't talk like we talk. They're not as educated as we are. But Paul's actually appealing to the Corinthians saying, you know what? Those guys you formerly looked down on, those Christians, they're gracious. The gospel has obviously taken hold of them because they're outshining others when it comes to demonstrating graciousness because they've received graciousness. They're more educated in the right sense than you would even imagine. It's what Christians do, even if they're from Macedonia. I'm not going to use any modern day illustrations because I don't want to offend anybody here today. But those you might look down on because they're from somewhere else and they don't talk the way you talk and they don't speak the way you speak. Oh, they're giving because this is what Christians do. How about verse 2? For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty even have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Same, same related word, the grace word, generosity on their part. So that's counterintuitive. Even when things weren't going great with them circumstantially, they still shined as Christians. They, they still acted like Christians because they've received grace, so they're gracious. Learn even from them. Then it says in verse 3, if you'd look there, for they gave, so I'm making all kinds of connections in my notes, grace, generosity, now we have gave, they're all related, same concept, Christians understand grace, so he's appealing to that, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and, get this, beyond their means, of their own Accord. So not under manipulation, not under guilt, not, not under some kind of super pressure. They just gave because they wanted to give. And they give beyond what we would even have expected them to give. Let's keep going. In fact, in fact, verse 4, begging us earnestly. Right? And, and we're going to go on to read, they begged us earnestly, but it's not. They begged us earnestly, please don't make us give. Don't you know we're having a hard time over here? Please don't drop the apostolic authority on us, Paul. We beg of you not to ask us to act Christianly. <laughs> it's not what he says, but we might expect that. He says, begging us earnestly for the favor. Ah, another grace word. For the favor, for the honor, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And in the margin, you could write it for the saints in Jerusalem, because we looked at the whole context. That's what's going on. Jer Christians in Jerusalem, because they're Jewish, are being persecuted at this point in time. And so they're losing their jobs and they're losing their homes and they're losing their families. So they're losing their income. They're losing their jobs, if I didn't already say that. And so here we Corinthians are being called upon, like the Macedonians, to support Jewish Christians counterintuitive as well. Verse 5 then says, and this, not as we expected. It's beyond even apostolic expectation. But they, don't, don't miss this part, gave themselves first to the Lord. This is how it works. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, 
to us in our raising support, if you will. And this is kind of the anatomy of how this all works. You receive grace from God, and in response you say, Lord, thank you, I could never repay you. You've been so kind and gracious to me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise, we worship, and we say, whatever you ask of me, I will do. In other words, I'm yours. I was a slave to sin, now I'm a slave to righteousness, if we're going to cross-reference around. I belong to you. You've freed me, to use the, the, the ransom terminology that's used in the New Testament. You set me free, and now I belong to you, my covenant Lord, my covenant master, who's gracious and kind. So when we are given grace from God and salvation in the gospel, the right initial response is we give ourselves to him. It's, it's what Christians do, right? Think about Romans 12, 1, right? Gospel, 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 11 chapters of all the intricacies of the amazing grace of the gospel of the Lord. And then in chapter 12, it's, okay, how should we respond? And he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, the all of you, to the Lord. I'm paraphrasing because I'm not going to read the whole thing. As an act of sacrifice is what he says. It's the same kind of idea. What happens is they were converted and they gave themselves to the Lord first because that's what you do. I'm all yours. You just tell me what to do. And then also the reflex, the supernatural Holy Spirit inspired reflex is that. And then it shows itself in, I'm going to show graciousness to other people. Then I commit myself to other believers, other people. That's what's happening here. I love the theology of it all. It's amazing. It's what Christians do. Christians give. Christians have received grace, so Christians show grace. I remember being a brand new Christian. I didn't know which side was up for the most part. I just pretty much knew Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. I didn't know much, but I I knew I wanted to learn and I wanted to grow and all of those things. And it's a little foggy in my mind, but I remember going. I got converted outside of the church. And in my mind, I thought church was bad because I went to a church that didn't teach me the Bible. So naively, I thought church is bad. Bible is good because that's where I heard the gospel. So I didn't go to church. Then you read the Bible enough to go, oh, the Bible talks about bad churches and good churches and good churches are vital. So all of that to say, I'm going to a Bible study. And I, I can't explain it. I didn't know much, but I knew that I needed to give. I needed to do something with my money as a poor college student. I don't remember if they were cashier checks or what you do, what you could go to the, the convenience mart and, and ask for a check and you give them the money. And I would just like, I have to get up and use the restroom, hide it in the people's kitchen. It's like, how dumb is that? <laughs> but I'm like, I, got, I, I knew something even reflexively I need to be giving because the, I, I should be supporting these people and what they do. And it was a parachurch ministry and I don't need to get into all of those things. But just to illustrate the point, even if we don't know how to do it, it's a natural thing if you've received something amazing and awesome to say, how can I show generosity because I've been shown generosity myself. Giving is a Christian thing. The Apostle Paul is appealing to the Corinthians to give of their money to gospel ministry because it's a Christian thing to do. It's just built in. It just makes sense. Let's move on to another one. So another reason why Christians should give, and that is because it's personified, it's personified in Titus. Historically. But Titus is a pastor. So it's personified in 
let's say, faithful pastors, not all pastors. I think you'll understand in a moment. It's personified in faithful pastors. What we're going to see is Titus is the pastor. Right? We have we have First and Second Timothy and Titus. It's that Titus. And Titus is involved here in this scenario. And Titus, as a pastor, has committed himself, all of himself, to gospel ministry. And he's going to use Titus as an example for all Christians. Not all Christians are pastors, but he's going to use Titus as an example for all Christians to understand what it looks like for somebody to give their all. And if he's going to give his all as a faithful pastor, not all of you are pastors, but you could learn from him and give some of your money, if you will. Let's go ahead and look at it. It says in verse 6, Accordingly, we urged Titus. Kind of like I'm urging you guys with your money, we urged Titus, a faithful pastor, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of, here it is again, grace. So think of Titus. Think of what we're calling him to do. When it comes to serving, when it comes to gospel ministry, what you started, Titus, you need to finish. You need to be all in because that's your vocation. And he serves as a good example for the Christians to say, you know what, as Titus is all in with his vocation, I mean his calling, his job, it's a word we don't use that often anymore. Learn from him when it comes to your giving. You may not be a pastor. You might be a manufacturer. You might be a fill in the blank, right? Back in those days, you might be a banker. You might be an investor. You might be a janitor. You might be a teacher. You might be fill in the blank. We all have different vocations, but there's something we can learn, not from huckster manipulator pastors, but there's something we can learn from pastors like Titus. He's all in. He didn't sign up to be a pastor because they had a good 401k. He didn't sign up for a pastor because he thought it would be, you know, a great thing he could do a kind of on the side while he got his master's degree or, you know, whatever. It'd be easy. He's had to count costs to do what he does and he's all in. And in case he's ever going to flinch, we urged him to be all in and finish to the end. And so Mr. and Mrs. Christian and your families... When it comes to your giving, learn something about that. Learn something about sacrifice. Learn something about showing generosity. I think is why he includes him in here. Let's do another one. Another reason for giving. And that would be number three. It is an essential Christian action. It is an essential Christian action. And by essential, I mean basic. And I realize there's overlap here. Just a, it's a basic Christian thing to do. How about verse seven? But as you excel in everything, as you, Mr. and Mrs. Corinthian, okay, Christian, as you excel in every, as you, as you grow in everything, as you mature in everything, and you started off slow because you're a baby Christian and you didn't know much, but as you excel and as you grow up in the faith and, and, and everything, let's see what he, he's talking about in faith, means trust, as you t- learn to trust God more and more because you grow spiritually. Uh, in speech, because I used to say certain things before I was a Christian, and now I don't talk the same way I used to speak uh, as an unbeliever. So you're, you speak differently, okay? 
in wholesomeness and building people up, Ephesians says. So as you're excelling in faith, as you're excelling in speech, because you're growing as a Christian, as you're excelling in knowledge, remember Colossians 1 says that, that increasing in the knowledge of God is part of spiritual growth. So we know more about theology. We know more about God. We know more about His ways. We know more about His promises. So as you excel in knowledge, theological knowledge, uh, and also as you excel in all earnestness, now it's just a catch-all term, earnestness, basic desire to do the right thing. As you're excelling in all of those things, and in our love for you, notice what he says. See that you excel in this act of grace also. You see what it means, right? It's pretty straightforward when, when we take the time to think it through. Just as I want you to grow spiritually in this discipline and grow spiritually in this discipline and grow spiritually in this discipline, I want you to grow spiritually in this gracious discipline as well. That's what it's about. The basic one, two, three is ABCs of the Christian life. How about verse 8? I say this, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I'm not here to be the uh, apostolic scold police. That's not how Christian giving should work. I'm appealing to you. I'm reasoning with you. I'm talking about how this is the, the supernatural Holy Spirit reflex, if you will, of receiving grace. You show grace. And so I, I'm not issuing this as a mandate or command. It's kind of interesting, though, because if we read it in context, in verse 11, if we could just drop down there for a second and look ahead, because we could do that. In Second Corinthians eight eleven, it says, So now finish. For you language people, that's an aorist imperative. You don't need to know that to go to heaven, but you need to understand it to know the Bible here. That's, that's a command. So he says, it's not a command. I'm not, I'm not giving you a command. And then he's going to say, I'm going to give you a command. <laughs> I take that to mean he's, he, it's, it's soft, right? This, this is a, this is what Christians do. It's, it, it's not an option, but I'm, I'm appealing to you in, in a soft, kind-hearted, gracious kind of way. At least now, but in a few verses, I'm going to tell you that you should do this. I appreciate that. I appreciate the nuance. It's sweet reasonableness, maybe an old author would say. Don't be tight-fisted. One author said, Christian obedience is responsive. I think that's just a great way to put it. So I could ask you, as, as your pastor, you would expect me to say, are you praying not to gain eternal life, but because you already have it? And you'd say, well, that's a good question for a pastor to ask. Are you gathering for corporate worship? Not to gain eternal life, but because you have it? And you'd say, that's a good question for a pastor to ask because the Bible calls us to do that. Um, are you showing the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Not to gain eternal life, but because you have it. That, that's a good p- patience and peace and kindness and gentleness. And you said those are good questions. I could say, are you are you meditating on Scripture? That, that's a good thing. Not to gain eternal life, but God's word is true, and we want to be discerning and and we want to be growing spiritually. Are you giving, Pastor? Why are you asking that? Because it's actually a part, a part of the whole deal is what the Apostle Paul's getting at. 
And so in our day, we, we call it spiritual disciplines. Um, maybe not my favorite label because some spiritual disciplines that aren't biblical have snuck their way into certain people's books that the Bible never mandates, but I digress. I think, can I, is it okay today if I call it a spiritual discipline? <laughs> it's something you do as a Christian and you want to excel in and you want to grow in just like I want to be a, a, a growing in other ways too. It's one of those things. Okay, let's do number four. Another reason, and this is a super important one as if the other ones weren't. Why, why should I say that? Number four, the next reason why believers should be giving I can give it to you in one word. Starts with a J. It is the answer to all Sunday school questions. Other than who betrayed Jesus. <laughs> the next reason is Jesus. The next reason is Jesus. What we don't want to do is make Jesus first and foremost the example. That's what theological liberalism does. And he's not a savior anymore. He's not a substitute. But Jesus is an example. But first and foremost, he's a savior, right? He, he, he takes our sins and, and the wrath of God that we deserve upon himself so that we don't have to experience it. So first and foremost, we're talking about he's the savior. But secondarily, once we're saved, if you will, he is our great example. And we're going to see that here. Look, look with me, if you would. This is, this is, a, this is deluxe. This is why I don't mind preaching about giving today feeling so good about it. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's our word again. You know the grace. You know it intellectually. You know it experientially. You know it because it brings comfort to your heart. You know it because it gives you assurance. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that your trespasses aren't held against you. You deserve to go to hell. You, you, you deserve justice. You, you deserve condemnation. You deserve to have a miserable life with no hope because we're rebels. And he's not saying that, but that's in the backdrop. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus. You know, you know the free gift of eternal life in the Son. You know that the, the, the one who said, or the Bible describes as loving his own to the very end. It's like, yes, so good. I love, love. It's the greatest ever. Why do we call it good news? It's great news. It's the best news. And if you're a Christian, you know this. Your biggest problem has been solved. It puts everything into perspective. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, that though he was rich, the eternal Son... Yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich? Wow, it's right, of course. And it's not talking about physical poorness and physical richness, obviously. To borrow from the Apostle Paul so that you would become rich, so that you would be an heir, a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. It all belongs to Him because He's Lord of all. He's the victor. He's the champion Savior, the conqueror of sin and death. So through His poorness, humility, incarnation, all that He did, sacrifice, we become rich. Jesus is the ultimate example. 
He's more than that, but he's not less than that. And he's appealing to Christians like you and Christians like me to go, that's right, I do know about that. I do know about that. One person said, Jesus gave not just a tenth of himself, but all of his riches. We can be thankful he wasn't a tither. He gave himself and all of his riches in exchange for us, paid the penalty so that we could be rich and be co-heirs with him. It's pretty amazing. We better move on. We're going to do seven of these and we're on number five. A fifth reason for believers to be giving, myself included, yourself included, it corresponds with understanding the true gospel. It is consistent. It corresponds with understanding the true gospel. Likewise, when you don't understand the true gospel, it it would make sense if you're, as my grandmother would say, if you're stingy. Because you don't understand how the gospel works. But if you understand how the gospel works, then you're going to be gracious. How about verse 10? And in this matter, I give my judgment. The apostle Paul says, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. A year ago, you were spiritually healthy. And so when the need was made known to you for gospel ministry advancement and support, because you were in a healthy place theologically... He said, we'll do this. And then you listen to those who claim to have new revelation and special secret knowledge from God. And now salvation isn't by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's by faith and works. It only makes sense that you would stop being gracious because you don't get it. You believed in a stingy false gospel. It's not the true gospel. And he's reminding them of that. And so then he says in verse 11, so now, see, now that they come back around... Now that they are are, are back seeing that the Apostle Paul was right, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. It corresponds with understanding the true gospel. That's what's happening here. So if we want to use big, loaded theological words, we could say their orthodoxy a right theology, orthodoxy, it's straight, it's true, it's genuine, it's sound. Their orthodoxy shows itself. He's calling for it to show itself in their orthopraxy. Practice. The right practice. The two go hand in hand. So for, for me as a Christian, you know, I, I, I hate to say pride myself because that's not right. Right? We have strong convictions. That sounds better. About what's true about Jesus and what's not true about Jesus. Uh, we, we love the book of Jude because it talks about the once, and to, to be literal, it doesn't sound great in English, but to be literal from the Greek text, we're committed to the once and for all delivered to the saints faith. Right? We don't want to be in a cult and we don't want to be misled by other things. And so we, we're committed to the, the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. 
wasn't a phantom spirit thing in our hearts or something, in imaginations. We're committed to the, to the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. He didn't come to just be an example of sacrifice. He's the substitute. He makes atonement for sin to satisfy the justice of God. We believe those things. We believe in the active obedience of Christ, that he didn't just live a life to somehow prove to everybody he was sinless, although that's important. He didn't live a life um, to just show that he was worthy to be a perfect spotless lamb of God, although that's important. No, he lived a perfect life of obedience to fulfill the law on behalf of everyone who would ever believe. These are the kinds of things I could go on and on, things we have convictions about. Orthodoxy. This is what's right. I'm committed to what's right. I'll lose friends and family if necessary. I don't want to, but... I'll, I'll, I'll face the consequences if not. Jesus is the only way to heaven. I'll face the consequences because these things are important to us. We of all people who have such convictions about grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and all the rest shouldn't be the stingiest of all. We should actually have pretty good, orth- I'm understating it, orthopraxy because of orthodoxy. Right? I mean, how about this one? We, we believe that salvation is of the Lord. Uh, you want to use theological historical jargon because some of you are really into that? We of all people as Augustinians should be gracious. What I mean by that is Augustine is famous for believing in the doctrine of utter depravity. People aren't inherently good. good, 90% good, and God meets him in the middle. This is why John Calvin appeals to Augustine again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Who knows how many times? Saying to Rome, Augustine's our guy. He's the guy. He's the, he's the grace alone guy. He's the faith alone guy. He's not your guy. He's our guy. Because he believes salvation is 100% of the Lord because apart from God's sovereign grace, we're dead in trespasses and sins. Have you read Ephesians 2 lately? My point is this, other than to give you a little reminder of church history and theological uh, history. We of all people as Augustinians, how about people who believe Ephesians 2, 1 and following ends? (laughs) Knowing that God doesn't help those who help themselves. It's all grace. We should be gracious. We should be gracious. We, we shouldn't be so concerned maybe in this conversation right now about outgiving the Macedonians, but we should be outgiving the Arminians <laughs> who think that salvation is by grace plus works. If I may, if I dare. Okay, let's move on. Get myself in more trouble for not following my notes. See, it's a weird thing. So you pray for the Holy Spirit's help, and then you say profound things, and you give the Holy Spirit the credit. And then you say things you shouldn't have said, and you take the blame. So (laughs) it's a weird world we live in, at least in my mind. Okay, number six, and then number seven. The sixth reason for believers giving support is that it is expected of everyone. It is expected of everyone, and by everyone I mean all Christians. This is overlap, but let's look at the verses. In verse 12, for if the readiness, if the eagerness, if the desire, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. 
Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, a matter of equity, everybody's going to give. Some people are going to give because they have a lot. Some people are going to give because they have a little, but everybody gives. Verse 14, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be equity, that there may be fairness. Everyone is participating, even if the amounts differ, even if the amounts that people have differ. Then there's a fascinating thing in verse 15. As it is written, he's quoting Exodus 16. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. At the end of the day, in the wilderness wandering, everybody had what they needed. He's just using that as an illustration. So some people have a lot and they give. Some people don't have a lot and they give. And the point is to support gospel ministry. And the gospel ministry ends up being ours. Because everybody's doing their part even though we have different backgrounds and different abilities. I think that's what's happening if you want to do a 30,000 foot view. It's expected of everybody. Number seven, we'll wrap up with this. Seventh and final reason for believers giving support to gospel ministry because of the gospel. Number seven, it's part of the new covenant experience. It's part of the new covenant experience. I don't have a text from 2 Corinthians for you about this. This is my catch-all because there's all kinds of other biblical principles to follow. Uh, in every membership class that we have, we have a, a, a little booklet right here, a biblical perspective on giving. They're in the entryway today, the exit way, if we want to call it that, on your way out. If you don't have one, there are other biblical principles to follow. And we're not going to look up all the passages today. I just wanted to do 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There's more to be said. But I do want to end on the new covenant reality because second Corinthians actually second Corinthians actually is a book that stresses the new covenant and the greatness of the new covenant. I'm just not going to give you a single verse. Think about in the old covenant. Think about how the old covenant, though it was good, is not better like the new covenant is. So in the old covenant, some really good things, right? You've got uh, sacrifices, you've got priests, you've got intercession, you've got forgiveness through the coming Lamb of God, you've got all of these types and shadows uh, and all of this good. But even the Old Covenant talks about a new covenant that would come and be better. Were people in the Old Covenant called to give? They definitely were. And it's actually a misnomer that it was 10% because if you add up the different tithes, it's probably, I'm just guessing off the top of my head, but I've done the math before, like 25%. And in the old covenant, you had a mixed multitude, if you will. It's a holy nation and there were believers and there were unbelievers. And they're all called to give. They're all called to give. It was good. But it's types and shadows waiting for the better new covenant where it's not types and shadows. It's the substance belongs to Christ. There were believers here, don't get me wrong, but now we know more and now we can connect the dots and now we see that Christ fulfills. He is the ultimate prophet. He's the ultimate priest. He's the ultimate king. He's the ultimate lamb of God. He's the ultimate tabernacle. He's the ultimate temple. He's all of that. He's the ultimate son to fulfill all the obligations And we come to the new covenant and I say, 
Who should be more motivated? Oh, and then in the new covenant, if you're a member of the new covenant, you've been regenerate. So it's not a mixed multitude. If you're actually a member of the new covenant, you, you are, you are regenerate. You have a new heart by definition. If we looked up the passages, we won't do it. And so who's going to be more motivated? People who know the substance, people who are regenerate. I mean, it's a trick question. I'm just setting you up because you, you know the answer. You say, of course, we should be all the more motivated. I think that's right. But I do want you to know that it looks different. Because we're not a holy nation. We're not a mixed multitude. It is different. And there are biblical principles to follow. We've looked at some of them. But there are other ones. Giving is to be things like sacrificial. Well, for sacri- if, if you're just going to go percentages, sacrificial... If you just go percentages, it may not be sacrificial for me. It might be really sacrificial for you. So there's other principles that you need to introduce yourself to. Uh, and we're providing a means, not through this sermon though, just so you can follow the spiritual discipline of giving and say it's things like it's proportional, it's sacrificial, it's regular. I mean, all of those kind of things. And, and those are important things. I'm just not going to get into them right now. I think... I'm not sovereign. I don't know the future. These are great days for the life and ministry of OBC. I'm more encouraged as your pastor than I've ever been in my whole life. 25 years in last month. Right? We don't have an identity crisis. We know what the gospel is. We know what the gospel isn't. We know the difference between the law of God, what he requires, and the gospel of God, what he provides I'm so encouraged. I'm so delighted that in this room there are plenty of salty saints. And there are plenty who are brand new. And plenty of people who are in between. And that delights me. I'm so encouraged that not a week goes by. Not a week goes by that Omaha Bible Church and its pastors aren't helping people in other countries, other states, and other cities to understand things like what is the gospel and what is the law. I'm, th- I'm thrilled about it all. Encouraged about it all. But God uses means. And so pray about how God would use you as a means of grace for more gospel ministry. Would you? That's all I'm asking. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for today. Thank you for great opportunities around the world. We do pray for, as we mentioned earlier, we do pray for our dear pastor in India and his family, uh, that they would find a new place to live, that they would have great opportunities for gospel ministry. We're so thankful for what's happened there and what is happening. And we do know that you are in control ultimately. May they trust you. Help us to help them. Lord, provide for our needs. You always have and always will. Um, do so in a way that would be remarkable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If we can help you this morning, someone to pray with you, someone to answer questions, Dave and Renee Guthrie are down in front on behalf of the whole church family. May the Lord bless you as you go. Have a wonderful day.